Lord's Day 2 ended with our confession that I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And Lord's Day 3 continues, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image. That is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is much evil in the world today. Consider how Vladimir Putin's Russia has invaded the Ukraine. He attempted a power grab for more territory and resources. And when the war did not go as well as he wanted, Putin has deliberately targeted the civilian population with indiscriminate attacks. Evidence shows that the Russian forces are guilty of the torture and rape of women and children. Makes you wonder how these men can justify such depravity. Our society, too, is becoming more and more wicked. Jeffrey Epstein, who had ties to celebrities, politicians, and royalty, was arrested on charges of sex trafficking. These powerful men used women and children for their own gratification without considering the cost to their victims. Many schools today are being used as a training ground to teach grade school children that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, contrary to the wishes of most parents. Many baby girls continue to be aborted because their parents are looking for a boy. The sinfulness of our hearts, the inherent depravity of our human nature does not pass us by Even in the Christian church, many bad things happen. People defraud others. Pornography is regularly used. Husbands and wives are unfaithful. Alcoholism and drug abuse occurs. Young people and others in vulnerable situations are sexually abused. And then we wonder, How can people commit such terrible sins against one another? But should we really be surprised when others fall into sin? Is it right for us to be judgmental when Satan grabs hold of someone and tempts them to do evil? Don't you think that Something like that could happen to you? 
What we need to do, beloved, is to look at our own hearts. Are you never frustrated, angry, or upset with a family member or brother or sister in the faith? Are you free from all lustful thoughts? Don't you ever envy your neighbor for what he has? Are you free from all covetous desires? If you recognize the root of sin within you, then you have to admit that circumstances could cause you to fall into sin. The depravity of our hearts is not any less than that of our unbelieving neighbors. This afternoon, we'll focus our attention on the cause and on the extent of man's depravity. The goal of this is not to make us depressed. Instead, it is to make us self-aware. It's to help us to see how badly we need a Savior. It's meant to teach us to look to God for his grace and for the regenerating work of his spirit. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. God teaches us that although we are responsible for our depravity, we may look to him for his grace. We'll see that our depravity is rooted in our fall into sin and that our depravity is overcome by God's spirit. By nature, we are depraved. By nature, we're totally corrupt and inclined to all evil. It's not something we like to accept. We agree that there are people who are totally evil. People like Joseph Stalin, who murdered millions of his own countrymen. People like Adolf Hitler and his associates, who were responsible for the Holocaust. We don't like to think of ourselves in those terms. We don't feel comfortable with the idea that by nature we're exactly the same. That by nature we're inclined to hate God and our neighbor. But why are we like that? Where does our depravity come from? Did God make us that way? It's the first question that our catechism deals with in Lord's Day 3. It asks, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? The answer is a resounding no. God created man good and in his image. It's what the Bible speaks about in Genesis 1, 26 to 31. This passage speaks about how God created man in his image and in his likeness. This fact is often misunderstood. Sometimes we're inclined to think that being created in God's image means that we look like him. Yet we need to remember that God does not have a body like us. The fact that we're created in his image does not mean that we physically look like him. It does mean that in some way our character, in our character and in our being, we are like him. There's two parts to being created in the image of God. The first relates to man's person, to who we are. God created man as a spiritual being. We're different from the animals. For God gave us a mind to think, 
hearts to love, a will to choose between good and evil. As human beings, we reflect some of God's attributes. Just as God is good and righteous and holy, so we made man good and righteous and holy. We are created with a sense of justice, reflecting God who is absolutely just. There's also a second part to being created in the image of God. It relates to man's office or task, to what man was called to do. God is king over all the earth. He rules over the entire universe. He holds the whole world in his hands. Yet God gave his beautiful creation over into the care of man. He appointed Adam and Eve as stewards over the earth and all that's in it. He commanded them to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over the fish and the birds and every living thing that moved on the earth. To summarize, God created man so he reflected God in who he was and in the task he was given to do. The fact that man was created in God's image shows how perfectly God made man. Genesis 1.31 gives us God's evaluation of his own creation. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The point that our catechism teaches us is that we cannot blame God for our depravity. He made us perfect in every respect. God created us so that we could know him and love him and live in perfect unity with him. He did not make us so that we were inclined by nature to hate him and our neighbor. Where then are we to look for the source of our depravity? God made us good, and we know that by nature we are evil. What's the root cause of our wickedness? So the Catechism asks in question 7. It asks from where then did man's depraved nature come? The answer is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. The source of our depravity is the fall into sin. We read together about that in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve lived in this beautiful garden. They had plenty to eat and drink. The climate must have been a mild one, for they did not need any clothes. They lived in harmony with each other. And from time to time, God came to visit them in the garden. And he walked and talked with them. It was truly paradise. Much better than anything we can ever imagine. Man served God from the heart, freely. A time of great joy and blessedness. And yet man spoiled all this, for he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Man was allowed to eat from all the trees in the garden, all except this one. God put a restriction on this tree to see if man would freely serve him from the heart. 
You see, beloved, God did not want to be served by pre-programmed robots. He gave man a free will. He gave man a choice as to whether or not to serve him. Did man love God enough to be willing to submit himself to God's command? Or would the creature desire to be like the creator himself? We know the answer. Adam and Eve failed the test. They fell for Satan's temptation. They disobeyed God's command. And so they became wicked and perverse. In the fall into sin, our nature became totally corrupt. Now our natural response to this is to try and avoid taking responsibility for our depravity. We say the fall into sin was Adam and Eve's fault. Got nothing to do with us. Yeah, beloved, that's not what our catechism teaches us. Note carefully the difference between the question and the answer. The question asks about man's depraved nature. Yet the answer speaks about our nature becoming so corrupt that we are conceived and born in sin. How are we included in Adam's sin? Our catechism points this out when it speaks about Adam and Eve being our first parents. Adam is the physical root of all of mankind, as well as the representative head of all. In Acts 17.26, Paul speaks about how Adam is the root of all of mankind. He says that God made from one man every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. In Romans 5.18 and 19, Paul speaks about Adam being our representative. He says that through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. There is no escaping the point our catechism makes so clearly. It is that we are responsible for our own depravity. It's a message we don't like, beloved. We don't like to hear about how bad we are. And we like it even less when we're told that it's all our own fault. We would rather shift the blame onto someone else. This blame shifting happened already immediately after the fall. Adam blamed Eve for the fall, even blamed God for it. He said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Eve was not much better. She blamed the fall into sin on the serpent. Today, we have the tendency to do the same. We see this blame shifting going on all around us in our society. Someone's caught doing something evil. How many people take responsibility? Most don't at all. They deny as much as they can, and then they blame others for their wrongdoing. Just think about athletes caught taking performance-enhancing drugs. The people doing the test must have made a mistake. Or, I was suffering from the flu and unintentionally took some medication for that. When confronted with wrongdoing, people so often lie 
to cover up their own sins. And also in our lives, we're quick to make excuses for our sins. It's easy to shift blame for our wrongdoing on someone else. Practically speaking, how often don't we find ourselves in a situation where there's an unwillingness to admit to the sins we have committed? And if we're caught out, we have all kinds of justifications for why we did wrong. When confronted with what we've done wrong, our response often is, yeah, but. And there follows a story that tries to shift responsibility for our sins away from us. Beloved, the fact that we sin should not surprise us. The fact that as Christians we can fall into grievous sins is something God's Word teaches us. Just think about David, the man after God's own heart. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed to cover up his sin. Just think of Peter, the disciple who made such a beautiful confession about how Jesus was the Christ. He denied his own Savior three times to try to save his own skin. We confess that by nature we're totally depraved, that we're all conceived and born in sin. Lord's Day 52 teaches us that our sinful flesh is one of our sworn enemies. Why are we surprised when we or when others commit Serious sins? Beloved, we need to take our confession seriously. We need to admit that by nature, we're totally depraved. If we cannot accept our sinfulness, we're in deep trouble. For denying the problem of our depravity doesn't take it away. We need to acknowledge that we're by nature corrupt that our depraved nature produces all kinds of sin in our lives. If we can't accept this, we're like an alcoholic who's unwilling to admit he has a drinking problem. It's not until we're willing to take responsibility for our sins that we'll try find a solution for them. Remember, the reason we need to know how great our sins and misery are is so that we may seek deliverance in Jesus Christ. It's only someone who knows that by nature he's a depraved sinner who will look to God for his grace. Brings us to our second point. Having seen that our depravity is rooted in man's sin, we'll now see that our depravity is overcome by God's Spirit. Now, beloved, the purpose of Lord's Day Three is not to send us into gloom and despair. This Lord does not focus on our depravity to discourage us. Instead, it teaches us about the source and about the extent of our sinfulness to teach us to look to God for His grace. For if we truly know ourselves to be corrupt by nature, it encourages us to look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. It teaches us how badly we need the regenerating work of the Spirit in our lives. Question 8 of our Catechism asks, 
But are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? The answer to this question is yes. And yet the answer is qualified. The good news of salvation is proclaimed to us in the word that follows. That word, unless. That marvelous word, unless. That beautiful word, unless. This word shows us there's a way out. Teaches us that not all people remain totally depraved. It shouts forth God's grace on fallen mankind. Yes, beloved, by nature we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. It's the sad result of our fall into sin. It's a sorry state into which man has brought himself. But the good news is, God has not left us in our sinful state. Just as through one man sin came into this world, so also by one man deliverance has come. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. It's by virtue of our humanity that we share with Adam in sin and death. It's by virtue of our faith that we are united with Christ in righteousness and life. Remember, beloved, what we lost in the fall into sin. We lost much of our goodness, our righteousness, our holiness. We lost the ability to serve God, to love Him, to live for Him. And yet in Christ, these things are restored to us. Our, delivery, our deliverance from our sin and misery includes being redeemed from guilt. It also involves a renewal, a restoration of our sinful nature, so that more and more we take on the image of God again. That's what our catechism is speaking about when it refers to the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. And speaking about this, our catechism references John 3. In this passage, we read about one of the Pharisees coming to Jesus by night. Nicodemus wanted to speak with Christ. He acknowledges that Jesus is a teacher who has come from God. He bases this on the signs that Jesus did. Yet the problem with Nicodemus is that he does not yet see the Lord Jesus in the right light. He saw him just as a teacher sent from God, but not as the mediator, as the redeemer of his people. And so Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus explains how, as sinful people, we need to be born of the Spirit of God. He's speaking about what our catechism calls regeneration. Regeneration is the act of God alone, by which he renews the human heart making it alive when it was dead. 
This work of the Holy Spirit in us does not depend on us in any way. There's no preparation that we can make for the Spirit to work in us. There's no contribution we can make from our side to the new life God gives us. It's as it says in the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 12. Regeneration is something which God works in us without us. It's through the mighty working of the Holy Spirit that we are renewed. So that once again we begin to reflect God's image in our lives. But how do we share in this? How do we make this our own? We don't want to live in our sins and misery. It'd be great to once again be able to love God and serve Him. You say it all depends on the Holy Spirit. How can we share in His work? It's the same question Nicodemus also asked. He said to the Lord Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus showed Nicodemus the way to be saved. In John 3, he teaches us the same. The way of salvation is by faith alone. It's by fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus and expecting all good things from him alone. In John 3, Christ refers back to Israel's situation in the wilderness when God punished them for their sins by sending snakes into the middle of the camp. Many of the people were bitten and were dying. And they cried out to God for help. He gave them a picture of a snake on a pole. He told them that if they looked at it, they would live. Our Lord points out that as Moses was lifted, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The good news of salvation is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If we desire to escape condemnation, the way to do so is by faith in Christ. We could ask, but why don't all people seek their salvation in Christ? Our Lord gave the answer to that question in John 3, 19 to 21. The problem is that many love the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. They're afraid that their wickedness would be exposed. Can you understand, beloved, the importance of confessing our sins? Can you see why it's necessary to get them out into the open? It's in the darkness that Satan wields his power. He is the father of all lying and deceit. He wants our sins covered up so we continue to wallow in them. He loves it when we make all kinds of excuses for our wrongdoing and when we try to shift the blame onto others. These ways of dealing with our sin do not free us from our sins. There's only one way to be set free from our sins and from the power of the devil. It's through an honest confession of sins 
in which we take responsibility for what we have done wrong and look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. We need to confess our sins to God in the first place, to lay them before his throne of grace and prayer, seeking forgiveness for our sins and the grace of the Spirit to help us fight against them. There are times when it's also very beneficial to confess our sins to one another, to share with your elder or with a trusted friend some of the sins that cling to you so they can walk with you as you fight that sin. A burden shared is a burden lightened. Knowing that someone cares enough to walk with you and to hold you accountable can be a great encouragement in fighting against the sinful desires of the flesh. Beloved, we began by speaking about the depravity that exists in the world around us. We've seen that this depravity is not just a problem for unbelievers, but that it's a problem for each one of us. We should not be surprised at our sinful nature. When people around us fall into serious sins, we should not despise them or think, we would never do that. Instead, we should consider that, but for the grace of God, that could, that would, be me. Beloved, God has provided a solution for the problem of sin. He sent his Son into this world to serve as a sin offering for us. Let's not despair when we've grieved God through our wrongdoing. Let's not allow Satan to plague us with ongoing feelings of guilt and of shame. The Bible teaches us that there is only one right way to deal with sin. By confessing it and repenting of it. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for any and every sin we have committed. The Bible also teaches us not to walk in the ways of sin. It teaches us to pray for the renewing work of the Spirit in us. It's through His work that our sins are not only washed away, but that we are strengthened to walk in God's ways. The Spirit renews us more and more in the image of Christ, so more and more it becomes a joy and delight to live our lives in God's service, so that once more we love Him from the heart and we want to live our lives to His glory. Our cleansing and our renewal will not happen overnight. Our sinful flesh is something we'll have to fight against all our lives. And yet, we can be comforted by the fact that Jesus Christ has won the victory over sin and Satan, that he loves us and will never let us go. Despite our naturally corrupt hearts, Christ will help us triumph through him. By the grace of his Spirit, he leads us on the pathway of everlasting life. On the final day, he will remove sin and all its effects from us. 
He'll allow us to live with him in the glory we first enjoyed in paradise. Praise God for his grace upon us. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing hymn 28, stanzas 5 and 7.